Thanksgiving week on Rinky Dinking, and we wish you all a, a very merry, joyful, family-filled, turkey-bellied Thanksgiving this year. I'm Daryl Ray. I use summer as a verb, along with the great Mike Heike, the senior scribe for DallasStars.com. Uh, Tom Holy is here live in person in Pittsburgh in a checkered loggers shirt and ready to drop uh, some holy propaganda on you. And, of course, we now have a 25-year-old millennial involved in this as Jeff Totes has celebrated a birthday, and he did it in New York. I can't wait to hear all the details of that 25th birthday bash uh, with Ciroc vodka and everything else I'm sure that was going on that millennials like to get in bottle service and what have you. But uh, let's start off with, with Thanksgiving week and the statistic that just blows my mind and has ever since 2005. And that is that since the salary cap came into play, almost 80% of the teams that are in a playoff spot at Thanksgiving remain in a playoff spot when the 82-game schedule is finished in the spring. So that means basically three or four teams are moving in and three or four teams are moving out of the, the pool of 16. And we're only a quarter of the way into the season. Does it blow your mind as well? Yes, but I think it's changing. I think the fact that so many teams are so close, like, I mean, because the Stars are on the bubble, they're in the playoffs one day, they're out of the playoffs the next day. I think other teams are the same way. And so I think this might be the year where it really could be changed. Um, now, you've got your top two or three teams that are going to make it for sure uh, in each conference. But the middle's really wide, and it just seems like there's a lot of room for movement there. But it was the same thing last year. Yeah. Like, at the quarter pool, I think there were 14 teams between 21 and 23 points. Half the league yeah. was within, you know, four points of one another. And it's no different this year. You might have to add one more point in there, but I think there are, like, yeah. 14 teams between 20 points and 24 points. At least it was heading into the, yeah. the game last night. Uh, so... You know, we witnessed what went on last year where it looked like it was assured that they were going to be a playoff team. And then injuries start sneaking in and to significant people. And when that happens, your ability to still manufacture enough points to get in can erode. Yeah. You know, so the Stars, whether it was right at American Thanksgiving or not, it, they they ended up on the other side of things. Yeah. And... Uh, Tom's, Tom's uh, pulling out the computer to tell us exactly where things stand here this morning. Is that what you're doing, Tom? Let's go down the list here. Uh, so as we speak, uh, the top 16 in the National Hockey League are uh, starting with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning up top. Oh, this is last year. Thanks, Tom. We could always get you a microphone. You could join right in. Uh, so it was Tampa, St. Louis, Columbus, Toronto, Winnipeg, Nashville, Jersey, the Golden Knights, the surprising Golden Knights, uh, the Islanders, or is it Islanders, is the, is the S pronounced? Uh, Los Angeles Kings, Calgary Flames, Caps, Penguins, Penguins were 13th, uh, Canucks, 
Canucks, the Rangers, and your Dallas Stars held down number 16. Now I know how John Ziegler felt when he was running the NHL back in the day, and it was just a garage league that met in somebody's basement. <laughs> this is how we're running Rinky Dinky. No, I mean, this is information. This it is, is how you it's... podcast. This is how you win awards. That's right. Infotainment. So th- those are the statistics involved. And you believe that this thing is trending in a different direction, though. I do. That... There'll be more teams that jump in and jump out. That's my that's my end. theory. Should have just more teams included in, which is a completely different story. Well, I, I yeah, that's a completely different one. But I just believe that the the trend of a team to change from game twenty to game forty to game sixty is much greater now because of the parity, because of the influence of youth, which is very. Um, uh, up and down, as far as players go, you can get just a great streak out of your young players, or you could see them fall apart when things get really tight. So I think that's a good point, though. That when the league trending younger, you have to just roll with the punches, so yeah. to speak. And when it was older, you had more mature guys that could lock down a a game and b a playoff spot. Yeah, for longer periods of time, but. And they understood the philosophy of a team. A team had an identity. Like watching the Rangers last night, they're an interesting team, but I have no oh idea. Oh, my God. It's just a collection of guys running around out right. there. And, and so, Henrik Lundqvist. And, and, again, and so if Henrik Lundqvist is great, they're in the playoffs. If he's yeah. not. Yeah. Well, you could say that about a lot of teams. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's what I think this is this year. But injuries, you know, and Ben Bishop gets, gets a soft tissue issue again last night uh, in New York. The goaltending has been sensational yeah. if we're going to say what we're thankful for in the first quarter of the season i am thankful for jeff reese ben bishop and anton who dobin and their performances because between them and their goal posts <laughs> the stars would not be in the spot that they're in right now not with the level of decimation in the injury department i mean they're on pace i looked at it yesterday they're on pace for like 360 man games lost to right. injury this year. Two years ago when we thought, oh, my God, well, of course they didn't make the playoffs. You can't with that many guys out for that length of time. They were only at like 340, 342, right. I think. And I hate to, I, you know, I hate to not say that these guys, that those guys then weren't as important. But I don't, I mean, this is John Klingberg. This is Stephen Johns, who probably should be in your top four defensively. Uh, he hasn't played a game yet. I mean, these are key players yeah. missing key games. Yeah. Yeah. But as Mark Twain said, a few fly bites cannot stop a spirited horse. That was Samuel Clemens, right? That was Mark Twain, wasn't it? I think it was Samuel Clemens. I think it was Mark Twain. Tom's on it. The uh, point being that with, with great goaltending, and with organized coaching, you can overcome. You can overcome. Yes. And I think the Stars have done that. I think it's been underappreciated somewhat, the job that this coaching staff uh, that has been cobbled together in the first quarter of the season yeah. has done to, to patch this thing together. I mean, that game against Boston was unique. Yeah. Now, they were as, uh, you know – dinged up as the stars were especially at that position on defense but still the job that Rick Bonus has done with that crew on defense 
And, uh, and yeah, they mopped up with the goalies in behind them and, and Monty going from game to game trying to, you know, galvanize. Yeah, I, I, we, did, I, we haven't even talked about this, and this is something we usually like to talk off the record about, but how do you like his in-game adjustments? Because he makes a ton of them. Well, he does. I mean, that white, he's going to need nine whiteboards by the end of the year. He goes to it so much. But we talk about, and I think that's a sign of a good coach. I mean, don't wait till the intermission or whatever. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, you know, the cynic would stand back and say, don't confuse activity for achievement, right. too. You know, you can wave your arms and run up and down the bench and say a bunch of things that just don't resonate. But w- when you talk to young guys and veteran guys on the Stars – and they all say the same thing that the like I was talking with Hanley the other day and he said the same thing. He was he was like, it's staggering how much really usable information that Jim Montgomery gives you in game. Right. And Jason Spetz has said that right at the outset of the season. And he's well over a thousand games. Yeah. now. So yeah. Jim said he wants to get because he says that's a teaching point. Like, if something just happened, he, even if it's just one sentence in a guy's ear, he wants to teach him right then and there. I think there's a danger that you can feed him too much information, yeah. especially in today's world. I know that the belief is that this generation wants nothing but feedback all right. the time, want to be praised and what have you. I don't think it's always praise. Yeah, I know. Totes is rolling his eyes now. No, he's ignoring us. The... Uh, but it is – I think he's, he's done a wonderful job. And yeah. we talked about this on an earlier rinky-dinking, that the idea that you have a coach that has a plan A and there's no – our plan B comes the day later or right. whatever, I, that's tough to be victorious in today's NHL yeah. that way. you got to be able to snap things around, adjust, get punched in the mouth, come with a different uh, tactic right. and go that way. The uh, speaking of coaching, or do you want to hold it? What what is what are you thankful for? Um, hockey wise, or just I, in I, life? Oh my god, I don't know that people that listen to the podcast are that interested in what you're thankful for in your life. But yeah, go ahead, Mike. Uh, sure. I I, uh, I like this. I like this job. I like being with you guys. It's been fun. It, yeah. Well, it, you're welcome. You're you're a nice guy, Daryl. No, not really. <laughs> Tom, it, top of your profession. Best in the class. Yeah. Totes, you're learning. <laughs> okay, hockey-wise. <laughs> no, just in life, I think. Hockey-wise, what have you thought? <laughs> uh, Hudobin. I, I just think, and this is nothing against Kari or anything like that, but it's just the dynamic he brings to the entire team and the confidence, I think, that the players have in him um, so that when Ben Bishop has a soft tissue issue, which my guess is he'll have more going forward, uh, I don't think anybody's panicked. And I don't know if you guys got a chance to see the Hudobin uh, interview post game, but we asked him, so, you know, what does this change? What do you do? And he goes, nothing. And you're just like, no, really? And he goes, no, I, this is what I do. I show up, I play hockey. And you're just like, that's a really good philosophy. It's a good philosophy. It's a very weak Kazakhstanian <laughs> accent, though, Mike. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Did you find out if that was uh, Samuel Clemens or Mark Twain? It was after he changed his name. It was while he was Mark Twain. He is Samuel Clemens. You're welcome. Mark. It's the same You're thing. You're welcome. I've been that validated on the podcast again. It was as the pen name Mark Twain. Mark Twain will be the answer. 
His mama call him Samuel. I'm going to call him Samuel. All right. We're bogging down. We, we might even need to take a break. They're jackhammering outside the studio here in Pittsburgh. When we continue after a musical interlude and a little more jackhammering, we're going to talk about coach firings. <laughs> So last season, not one NHL coach was given his pink slip within the, the confines of the season itself. We're a quarter of the way in this year, and three have already been piped. And all three in the Western Conference, and two of the three in the Stars Division, uh, the Central Division. So is it the pressure of winning now how does this thing change from nobody gets fired first time since 1966 to all right well we've had a bad month let's change it up I had a great theory last year and now it's blown out of the water my theory last year was that coaches finally were getting paid and Hitch and I talked about this a lot and they pushed I don't think the Quenville thing fits your no no uh, then that's why it blew me out of the water because I really thought okay it's just not easy to fire a guy who's making five or six million dollars and who's got two or three years left on his contract. It's an expensive decision. In the past, they were making a million, two million, and they were kind of disposable when you look at them. I mean, they were a, a fourth line winger or third line winger. You could just get rid of them and change it. And so I thought, well, okay, you get money, then now the coaches have power. And, you know, that's just the way things work. Well, guess what? Money doesn't completely equal power for them because here's the thing, you can't change all the players. And especially now with the salary cap and every team within you know, $2 million or $1 million, you can't change hardly any players. So the easiest thing to do is change the coach. And the other part of it, at least in recent past, is they do it because it works. Yeah. At least in the short term, yeah. it seems to work. The, the firing in St. Louis seemed like it was – coming and then you know for for a while it looked as though it was just a goaltending issue and goaltenders and coaches have this symbiotic relationship always if you get great goaltending you're a very intelligent coach if your goaltending goes south your job's in jeopardy but they just stopped scoring when they shut out in three of their last four games yeah. got to a point I think where Doug Armstrong and their GM just was like we got to try something different. Yeah, and we, I mean, we've always talked about the voice in the room and changing, you know. I, but I think, get, a, I think a big part of it always is who's available. Yes. And, now, and that might have been part of it last year. I, I would say that it's funny because you look back at, at different teams and say, if they only would have hired this coach right then when he was available. And so I agree with you. I think getting the right coach, and there may only be 10 of them who are, you know, quote, unquote, the right coach. And when one of them becomes available, you do have to kind of jump because it can make a difference for your team for five. Right, because you look midstream now. If you wanted to go with a young guy, and we're going to talk about college influence, but if you wanted to grab a guy out of, out of college hockey, I mean, they're not going to leave their programs no. mid-year. After the year, yes, and even that I think is hard for them. So you start looking around, you're like, okay, well, do I just elevate an assistant? Well, that doesn't seem like it's going to change. But you just, and I think in a lot of cases, you're just shuffling the chairs around on the Titanic deck. And although when something happens where someone makes a change and maybe it wasn't the most intelligent decision in hindsight, 
Bruce Boudreaux was, you know, he becomes available, and it's like, yes. How about, how yes. about, how about Claude Julian? Right. I mean, they, there was a line around the block to yeah. talk to him. Yeah. I mean, it's just when those guys become available, people want them. So the, the biggest names out there now from past years would be Elaine Vigneault. Joel Quenville has $12 million coming to him over the next two years, so there's not much of a Doesn't have to rush into not a much decision. of an impetus there. Well, the other interesting thing is how much control does Chicago have over where does he go? They certainly don't want him to go to well, St. That's, Louis. Now, you understand this. I, I find it somewhat quizzical that you get rid of a guy. Now, I understand you're still paying him, but you get rid of a guy. We don't want you to coach anymore. But now, if another team wants that guy – they have to ask your permission to talk to them. Indentured servitude. You sign the contract <laughs> and you become, a, uh, you become a piece of meat for that corporation. Yeah. And that's, it is what it is. And it is quite a soft landing, though, with yeah. what they're pulling in <laughs> nowadays. Right. Uh, which brings us to, to the, uh, the button pushing of today's coach and the work harder mantra. Yes. And... It seems like it's understood that, that that has to be a part of it. And it's, it's you, you know, lots of teams have this and they have that, but the difference between them, besides goaltending, a lot of times is just what level is your work ethic right. and how consistent is it. But at the same time, sometimes it just feels like, man, if, if that's your only go-to, that, that's about as dumbed down as it gets. And is it? because you're running out of ideas in other areas or is that just the underlying issue and you're going to pound that nail into the ground as hard as you can yeah and i i I go back to jamie yesterday so he works hard he draws a high stick and so then he gets on the power play and just decides that and i believe it's him saying i'm going to work hard and i'm going to score a goal he goes tries to take on three guys at one time well then he turns the puck over and then it comes back and then Goaltender makes a save, but then he goes to the front of the net, and he, you know, he, it's just like there's a certain place in the game where I think you have to have intensity, have mental focus, and then that to me is hard work. You know, to just go crazy and drive into the corner or tr- think that you can beat three guys by yourself, I think you think sometimes that's hard work, and it's not. And so it's it's finding that place where like Vegas last year where everybody's doing the same thing at the same speed and it looks like hard work, but it's really just cohesion. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I think when you have a lot of bamboo harvesters or sugar cane cutters, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to do those jobs. But if you, if you just work hard, but you don't work smart. Right. I, I think there's a big difference between the two of them. And like the guy here, Sydney. Yeah. Like, like you sit there and you watch him. He works hard, but he's so calm and he slows things down and he's patient and he plays within the confines of the game as we use confines again. Um, it's the word of the day, <laughs> word of the week on Rinky Dinking Seven confines. Confines. Secret but word. To me, that guy works hard. But a lot of times you look down and it doesn't look like he's working hard. But he's engaged in the game, and that, to me, is hard work. I think it was Pitbull, Mr. Uh, Worldwide, 305, who said, I like to work hard, but I also like to play hard. I think it's the best way to do it. 
Pitbull is quite the look at, look at philosopher. Who, look at who straightened up to that one down there, the millennial. <laughs> Mr. 25-year-old. I think it's, tr it's true, though. Coaches, that, that old quote, that coaches win players and players win games. Yes. So you have to win over your players and, and somehow try to talk them into going as hard as they can for as long as they can in an intelligent manner and then just releasing them to the wild. And I think it was uh, Berkshire Hathaway. It was uh, Warren Buffett. He was talking about what they do with their analysts and what have you. And he, his point was, we here at Berkshire Hathaway don't tell 400 hitters how to swing the bat. Right. So if they didn't have the work ethic, though, to show up every day and go through this and go through that, and go, that's, that's completely different. Right. It's when you're telling individuals and elite players, okay, we, we need you to do this, do that, put your stick here, this is going to go over there. I don't know how much of that you can – how much can you tell Alexander Radulov how to play? Right. Well, it's funny. I mean, I always found him to be funny because there were times during key games where he would be standing at the other end of the bench and the assistant coaches would be, you know, calling a timeout and making adjustments. But Mike Keenan basically let the power play do what the power play does. Like, he didn't coach it. But you want to talk about coaching – Energy and uh, responsibility and just screaming his head off, that's what he did. Yeah, uh, at its drilled-down most element uh, source, the way you get elite players to work harder is you just subtract ice time and yeah. power play time Motivate them. from them. I think we saw a little of that with Jason Spezza against yeah. the Bruins. You know, he got his fanny planted for a period. He didn't go out in the power play. Then he came back out. Fought a guy, which was weird. But <laughs> yes. he picked the fight, you know, maybe frustration, probably frustration. And the Stars go on to win that game uh, in overtime, one nothing. A little uh, aside, little little nugget, little sidebar on the fighting thing. So I looked it up. So Jamie Benz had two just wild alley cat scraps this year. I mean, as good as it gets, yeah. right? Fights in New Jersey. Uh, with Miles Wood, yes, and uh, and then the and then the scrap against Josh Anderson, two two big strong guys just burly young chucking men. knuckles, feeding each other the five knuckle meat soother. The last seven times that Jamie has fought within a game, what would you think the Stars' record is in those seven games? You would think it would be like 6-1-0 oh, or something like you that. You would think, wouldn't you? Right. Because, I mean, we celebrate it and, oh, my God, this oh, is a game changer. Momentum. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the Stars are 0-7 oh, <laughs> in those last seven games. I know some people on Twitter who are going to say, yep, see, I told you, I told but you. You have to go back. You know the last game the Stars won when Jamie got in a scrap was? Tom does because I told him. Nah. San it, Jose? No. <laughs> Remember when he fought Nikita Trompkin? No. <laughs> that one just The ninth my wonder of the world on defense <laughs> for the Vancouver Canucks. He played one year. He's enormous, like six, eight, nine. Just a great big Russian bear, right? And for some reason, Jamie fought him. I remember, I remember watching it, and it was just like, why are you doing that? Right. Maybe it was fueled by the Gallardi party when we were in Vancouver. I don't know. He felt guilty. Sometimes the tomahawk uh, ribeyes will do it to you. They'll get you.
and they'll <laughs> they'll get you they'll get you hangry when you when you get it wore off the next day. But he fights him, and the stars went on one at four to two. There you go. There you go. Uh, let's talk since we're in Pittsburgh, and apparently Pittsburgh is under construction today. <laughs> They're making it better. Well, it's the Steel City, so uh, yeah, it could be. I think it is. Uh, after this, we talk, are the Penguins or are the Blackhawks the team of the last decade? Okay, Mike Heike, let's talk Blackhawks and Penguins, and not as a meat substitute for Thanksgiving. Let's talk about the hockey teams. So... Chicago, since 2008, owned three cups, two other conference finals, and over that span, they had one coach, Joel Quenville, who's no longer their coach. So that era, or era, is over. Uh, at the same time, the Pittsburgh Penguins, since 08, three Stanley Cups, one other cup final, one other conference final. So if you were sitting here today next to this jackhammer, which organization would you want to emulate? Hmm. The hometown Penguins here or the Chi-Town Blackhawks? It's really kind of a toss-up. I mean, they both... It's not the answer we were looking I know, for. I know, I'm, I know. All right, I'll take I have an opinion, crying out loud. I'm going to have an opinion. Um, I like the Blackhawks because they're in the West and I'm more familiar with them. I like what happened to that city and hockey. Um, and so the experience, I love Chicago. I love what happened with the Blackhawks. And so the experience that we've gone through in a span of 10 years or whatever, to me, I think it's been fantastic. Pittsburgh is great. Pittsburgh had, you know, previous, more recent success. What you're saying, though, is you hate the city of Pittsburgh. I don't. Is what I, I'm I actually, you know, it's funny because we got in here and I go, I really love Pittsburgh. It's a great town. I could live in Pittsburgh. Um, but I just, you, you asked me to make a choice, and I'm choosing my Blackhawks. More so because of the, the overall arcing, how they took over the city, and it had been a long time since they had yes. really good teams. Because, the vibe. Because, I mean, the Penguins, the, the Penguins had some pretty good teams in, around the late 80s, right. early 90s. They won, I think they won a couple cups, Tom, yeah. here. Beat the North that. Stars. Their current owner, the guy who went some 41 picks ahead of me in 1984. Just 41? Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't even realize that, that uh, Quinn, the coach of the New York Rangers, was in that draft as well. He went thir 13th overall to the Minnesota North Stars. Wow, interesting. How about that? Look at the information that's coming out of Daryl. Friggin' knowledge on you this morning. Indeed. I would. I have a tough time with it, to yeah. be honest with you. Oh well, you don't want to make a, you don't want to pick sides. Well, I'm going to. I'm just, okay. I'm stalling a little bit here. <laughs> I, I like the consistency of having one coach for that. Like there was just a pure, true, easy identity of the Chicago Blackhawks, yeah. and a major Jonathan Taves fan. Just liked everything about Captain Serious. That's what you. Yet that dripped down onto others, you know, character, talent, leadership, focused, one one dream, 
I think they called it one goal for a while in Chicago. They did. And uh, can, I, can I offer an, an odd um, change to that? Like I started out the same way as you did, but then at the end I'm going like, Patrick Kane is a gamer. Like I like that guy. A little midget who goes in there and just scores the big goals. Well, like, you can say midget. Well, you know, he's, he's just kind of. You say dwarf. I don't think <laughs> midget, though. The, the, other thing, the other thing, though, uh, that, that takes me a little more over onto the penguin side of things is they, they've had a bit of a harder path. Yeah. They, they've had to dust themselves off and get back up. And, you know, this, this team just a few years ago was for sale, if you believe the rumors and what yeah. have you. Now, for a lot of money, but it was it was for sale. I think Mario's going to be happy that he didn't sell it that time. I think he can get more for it now. But they uh, – and the fans here seem to be – they're on board. It's such a blue-collar area, and they have such a uh, wonderful wealth of of pro athletics. And, you know, they're into it here. Yeah. It's a sports They city. have an identity. Here. Yes, not that Chicago isn't, no. but those fans got so fair weather so quick with the Hawks. Yeah. And it, you're, I'm with you. Like, they would invade American Airlines Center and make you a puke. It was like barf day whenever the stars were taking on the <laughs> Hawks. I had to have a bucket next to me in the booth just to handle the front-running uh, throngs in red. And with that, that, up next, Holy Puck Again. Oh, go, ho, ho. Tom Holy in the hizzy. Ha, ho. Hey, you know what? You come on. Jack Hammering stopped. You're the silencer. Uh, this is Tom Holy, of course, stars vice president of communications with this week's Holy Puckaganda live from Pittsburgh. Tom, it's all yours. First of all, how close... To post Malone, do you think you sound? Me? Yeah. I thought I hope pretty close. I love Post Malone. I love him. All right. Well, we're gonna transition from Post Malone to a little Miley Cyrus because we're about to party in the ESA. <laughs> we might end your segment right there. Right Those now. crickets. A lot of crickets. <laughs> right there. All right. right Lindell. Oh, I oh I now I get it. Yeah, yeah. ESA. Yeah. Have at it. Essa Lindell. Ever since he stepped into the lineup since Klingberg goes down, people think he's been playing more and more and more. Well, in those five games, he does have 25 minutes and 12 seconds of ice time per game, which put him 11th in the NHL. He's also second on our team in shots with 13 during that span and has two goals and an assist. But this trend started happening before. Instead of but, use however. However. You won't confine me to use certain <laughs> words on this show. Oh, wow. You, you just dropped confine again. It's the word of the day on Rinky Dinky, <laughs> isn't ding, it? Ding. So if we go back to 10 games ago when the calendar flipped to November 1st, he's actually seventh in the league in time on ice per game with 25-46 per game. It goes back to that game on November 1st when we played Toronto. And... 
in that, he actually ended the game playing the last two minutes and 52 seconds of the game. So we were in a one-goal game at that point. He's got to shorten his shifts time. is what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> he won't be confined to short shifts. <laughs> <laughs> then you look at November 8th. That's the game that Klingberg did go down. He had 27 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time, but he played the last 229. So when the game is close and Monty needs a D-man, he's throwing Essa out there, and he's just letting him go. You know, it, he reminds me here lately of back when Chris, Chris Pronger was with the Edmonton Oilers. And I remember, I think McTavish was coaching the team then. And I asked him, because Pronger would play half the game every single night. He played 30 minutes of the game. And I was like, I'm just curious. How do you put your defense pairs on the board? Because on the whiteboard, you always write up, here are going to be the four lines. So you have left winger, center, right winger, go down, four lines. And then you have the two uh, the pair, pairs, and there's three pairs of, of defensemen. But how do you put down pairs when you know that one guy's going to play with all of them. He says, I put 44 in the middle, Pronger's number, and then I just put the other numbers around him in a circle. That's what S is doing right yes, now. Yes, he is. He's been phenomenal. And good with, nuggets. with some interesting partners, too. Like, I mean, that one, he plays hard minutes against really good players, and two, he's we always talk about elevating the play of the people you play with, and I think he's been doing that. He had a shift last night with Julius Honka, it did not go very well for Julius. I don't think he played again after that in the third period. And I said on the broadcast, I think Essa could just be a pair by himself because he, <laughs> he traded paint with like three Rangers in the corner, got the puck out of the zone, and then they, they changed. Rick Bonus, who coaches the Stars defense, says about him, his biggest challenge with Essa is to convince Essa how good Essa is. Right. Because he's one of those unassuming Finns you know, grew up raking the forests over there and is not really uh, a chesty, uh, look-at-me type of guy, as most Finns are. You know, that they're, yeah. that's the way they go about their business. And he, he's, he's a great NHL defenseman right now. Right. And he's only going to get better. He doesn't have some of the attributes of others, but he does everything well. And he's the eldest statesman of these fins that he's leading around. Yeah, which is crazy. Good, <laughs> good stuff, Tom. Yeah, and just like his, top, his three top time on ice games of his career have come in the last month. Out of necessity. Yep. You know, warriors are not born, and they are not made. Warriors create themselves through trial and through error, through pain and through suffering and their ability to conquer their own faults. Samuel Clemens? Mike Heike? That's Daryl Razor Ray. Oh, nice. What's your pen name? The Boy. We're back to talk Big 12 football, if you can believe it, after this musical interlude. I'm reminded again with Tom Holy's live appearance on Rinky Dinking that you cannot unring a bell. There was a big time football game last night as the Stars were taking on the New York Hockey Rangers at Madison Square Garden. 
Chiefs-Rams combined within the confines of one contest, 100-plus points. Offense, yes. Uh, defense, outlawed, outscore your problems. I think the you know, you've heard a lot of this in the aftermath of that, that it looked like Big 12 football. Yeah. And for some people, I think that's probably a negative. For some people, it's rah-rah, sis-boom-bah. So the NHL is trying, I think, slowly to adopt some of what the NCAA has produced and is producing, obviously, with coaches. We saw two coaches last night, one straight out of DU, the other one straight out of BU, in Quinn and Montgomery going head-to-head. And I'm, I'm just curious, what, what, what is it that they want to adapt from college hockey that they maybe don't get fully from either European hockey, Russian hockey, major junior hockey? I think the, the mix of physicality and offensive aggressiveness, uh, almost kind of like you know, in your era, uh, where technically you are flying, you want speed, you want speed, but when you arrive, you arrive with anger and, and with force. And Do you, you think know, that happens in... I think it's... To some I, degree. I, I think that is leaving our game. No, I'm saying that's what the new guys want to try and do. You're saying the new guys don't want to do that? I don't... Well, I think they want, they want puck pressure... It's an whether it's a college thing or not. I right. think it gets overblown that just because you went to college that you're smarter. Yeah. Don't confuse <laughs> education for intelligence, Mike. Do not. the The idea that why would I go the extra seven feet just to run into that guy for no apparent reason? It's going to have no effect on what went on. It's too late. Why would I not just take an angle on him? herd him into an area where he really doesn't want to go, put him on his back end, force him into a turnover just with stick position, skating, and pursuit. And I, I, I think that's the sort of the college game. It's not just college. That Europe yeah. does that as well. Bigger rank over there right. for the most part. But don't you think they're, they're trying as hard as they can to get offense, an offensive slant into this thing? The cautionary thing for me in trying to do this is they only play two games a week in college. And I think you can go hell bent and, and have all this energy when you have nothing but young guys who are salivating to play a game on the weekend. Right. Whereas, and Montgomery's learning it this year. This is a league of save your energy. Yep. These games are coming at you fast and furious. Another subtle reference to a bald-headed uh, thespian, along with Pitbull, Triple so, X. So basically, Jim Montgomery, Pitbull, and Fast and Furious. Yeah, along with Confines. So I, I don't know whether they can get there or not. I really don't. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they can copy that, that intensity and, and tenacity. It shows up every now and then. Yeah. But to do it three of every four games, I think it's hard at the NHL level because there's so many games and yeah, so much and, travel. And then we go to the work harder and work smarter and all that kind of stuff and, and still save energy and still, you know, we're not having practice today. So 
then how do you teach them what you want them to learn when they're not practicing because they're saving energy for the 82 games? It is, it's a challenge. But it is skill versus the bash and brawn game of 15 years ago, 20 still, years ago. I still think Jim Montgomery wants a little bit of that in his game. I think they do too. Like even if you, if, if you listen to what uh, Quinn and the Rangers have talked about, they want to go north-south. They want to go up and down the rink. They want to crash the net. They, they, wanna, they want work to be their, their lead, leading edge. Win your one-on-one battle. But at the same time, you watched that game for two periods last night, and there wasn't a lot of that yeah. going on. I, you, know, you can say it, and you can try to drive it into them, but the individuals themselves, every now and then, yes, but for 60 minutes, game after game like that, banging around the National Hockey League, I think it's – I think it's hard. We're not going to get 54, 51 games here? No, but then, you know, you get back on the bus last night after the game, and who was it? There were 80 shots in the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. 40-40 were the shots in a 5-4 game. And I'll say this. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Tom, maybe you and your flannel shirt can check this, but it seems like there have been more teams score seven goals in the first quarter of this season than in any recent year I can remember. Bad goaltending, I think. What? I'm joking. <laughs> it's always a dig at goaltenders. I don't think the go- – well, at times maybe. I think injuries is part of that. A lot of teams are, are missing some key personnel. They're on their third or fourth goaltender. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like more teams are able to have the big kind of blowout number. And the, the other thing on this with the college coaches coming in that I like is they seem – they seem more willing to open the kimono. You know what I mean? They, they seem – do you – well, you're a journalist, I think. At least you're touted as one. <laughs> Don't you think they're more freely open with, with information yes. than the old guard? Yes. But it's funny because, I mean, Hitch was really good at it. And Hitch's belief, and I always liked his belief. That he was free with information, but with my good friend Ken Hitchcock, it wasn't always – the it was truth. disinformation. <laughs> but point being is like he, he wanted you to know how smart he was. So he would explain what he was doing, which then made it better for us to tell stories and the right. fans, fans right. to understand the right. game. But then Dave Tippett, you know, or Lindy Ruff, they did not want any information right. getting out. And so then Jim, and again, I don't know if it's because he's new or because he's just wanted to be accommodating, but he'll tell you everything that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's pretty fun. You'll pound that out of him by game <laughs> 42, <laughs> I think. He'll get tired of wait, it. <laughs> journal, wait, here, I'm going to be the king of quotes today, along with the jackhammering. George Orwell talked about journalism. Do you know this one? No. Printing what someone else does not want printed is journalism. Everything else is PR. And that puts PR in a negative light. I, I don't like that. Look I like PR. Tom just bowed right up on his computer in the middle of the table here oh, with that one. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. Don't you think that's true? I'm coming in with the seven goal information. Are you just ignoring my quote from George Orwell? <laughs> PR is the fundamental um, backbone, I would say, of our organization. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at the end of that. <laughs> Job security. <laughs> Uh, 25 times has a team scored seven plus goals in a game this season. Last season in Hull, it was 68. Wow. Could you do the math? Yeah. Can I do math? 
So that's it's more. More. <laughs> <laughs> We're hitting the quarter point. We're shooting for a hundred games of seven goals or more. <laughs> so there you go. There you validation. Go. You're the king of flannel validation today, Tom Holland. And that's information that people don't want you to know. So he's a, really a journalist. We're running on verbal diarrhea here in Pittsburgh right now. We have to get to the birthday boy who, who's going to finish up for us today on Rinky Dinking as Jeff Totes, Totes McGoats, comes hard with millennial music. Totally. Totes McGoats. Cool. We're celebrating the harvest and... Apparently, a pipe has burst here at the hotel in Pittsburgh, and they're fixing it in the next room uh, on rinky-dinking Thanksgiving week. And I thought, what, what a wonderful opportunity to talk about how uh, the young people shop, because Black Friday has become a thing. Full-contact shopping is going to unfold the day after Thanksgiving. So I'm curious... Jeff Totes. Yes. How do you purchase the items that you need? Well, for us, it's all about Cyber Monday. There's no Black Friday anymore. I've never... Of course. I've never gone to any of those stores on Black Friday chasing a deal. Target, Best Buy. I feel like Mike Heika might have. Many times. You do? Um, my family does, and so then I have to go. Like, I, there's... Do you like it? Is it in lieu of a football game? You go... <laughs> And shop. There's actually a hut, couple, hut, there's hut, a cup, couple of times where I've gone, and I've actually enjoyed just the process and watching people and everything. Oh my god! And and so I'm fine with it. Um, you just have to rem- like I don't buy anything. I don't need anything. So this is all. You're just there to contract germs and stuff, or uh, people watching. It's called my husbandly duties of carrying stuff, and you know. Your husband, Lee? Whatever. Duties? I don't know. I'm trying to be a good husband. So what's been the best pickup in your Black Friday history? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I haven't gotten any, I don't think. I think my wife got a computer one time that was dirt cheap. And it is funny watching. Like, we've gone through this whole technology thing where we've seen TVs that cost $4,000 and then two years later. All of a sudden they're $400? Yeah. And it just shocks me. Like, you know, so you'll be in there, and, and these, these people just, they can buy whatever they want so, for 200 bucks, and so they, they haul it out of the store. And then I laugh at, so then they're probably actually worth $200. And the people who pay $4,000, they are making 3800 bucks off of them. So percentage-wise, let's go around the table here. You, obviously, you don't shop for yourself as far as clothes are concerned. <laughs> it's very true. That's a joke. Online versus bricks and mortar, I believe it's called. Where do you where do you shop? I'm most? 90% bricks and mortar. Are you really? I really am. My, my wife, God, you're old. I am old. My wife loves the online shopping. My kids love the online shopping. I just like going to a store. I don't know. I'm old. 25-year-old Totsi Magotsi? I would say 70-30 with the majority being online. So what do you have to go into a store to get food? food uh though that's there's online options for that now um clothes does your generation just hate other people 
Pretty much. We're getting there. Yeah. Just distancing Congratulations. Ourselves. Good. Me too. I might be a millennial. You know that? I may be. Yes. Long distance high five. I might be a millennial. What about you, Tom Holy? Am I a millennial? No. You're a lumberjack. And you're a lumberjack. Okay. <laughs> I'm a banana. What? What is your percentage okay. online to bricks and mortar shopping? I'm still more of a bricks and mortar. I, I don't. I have to try everything on when I'm shopping for myself, so it makes it really hard to online shop for myself. And then store, I haven't gone to the online for the food. I'm still going into the store for that. So I'm going to say like 80, 20. But going to the building. why don't you get like me, where if you need to try things on, you just have the, whether it's Xenia or uh, whatever, just bring their stuff to you or made to measure, have them measure you at home and then make up the suit and then deliver it to you. You won't share your guide. You said you wouldn't allow him to come over. I'll, I'll say this. So you're about 50-50? I think I go more to stores than I 60-40? No, I'd say 80-20. You're 80-20. You're almost 100%. You're 75% online. Yep. I also don't plan when I'm buying things. Like, I know I need to buy some gifts for Christmas. I will just go one day out of the blue and just get it over with. I do that at Christmas every year. I drink. In the morning, like I'll have, <laughs> honest to God, this is Razor Boy's guide to holiday shopping. I'll have a couple of drinks in the late morning, like nothing crazy, but Irish coffee, just so that my inhibitions for pulling out the plastic just go away. And then just boom, 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 boom. That's about the only time I think I set foot in stores so if i just get you a little liquored up i might get one of those suits from that guy <laughs> just pop over no but the the uh i think i i think i love online like once i discovered amazon it was that it's was over freaking game changer for me I'll tell you that right now because i detest having those clowns in menswear shops follow me around i walk in Guy comes up, I'm very cordial. Do you need any help? I tell him no. I tell him no to his face. No, just gonna browse, just looking around. Are you looking for anything? No, not really. And then he, they'll shadow you. They'll follow you, almost like they're stalking you within the store. And then, wait, and then, and then they ultimately can't help themselves. They'll approach you again. You know, these are on sale or... We have this going on, or are you interested in this? And I, at times, have stopped down and just said, did you not understand what I said to you in our previous conversation? I don't need any help. But aren't you accustomed now, because of your, your fame, your fortune, to being shadowed by people who just adore you? I don't mind like autograph seekers and people that want to get selfies with me uh, in the men's store. You know, I'm, I'm fine with them. But it never happens, ever. But I, I can't stand that. I can't. I, so I become, and maybe this is just the age I am now. I know what I want. I know what fits me. And I just push a button. I click. And it shows up on my doorstep. And I'm done. And I'm, I'm that guy now. If there's a shirt that fits me, and I like it. I hunt it down online on sale. I wait for sales. I don't buy anything at full price. Wait for sales. That's the old And man then I'll get, 
I'll get three or four colors of the one thing, and I'm done. We've got some breaking news. Todd McClellan has been fired in Edmonton, and Ken Hitchcock has been hired to be their new head coach, according to Sportsnet. Uh, this will be not breaking when you get the podcast, but you heard it wow. here first on your Inky Dinky. So maybe an extended segment here. Wow. I got to tell you, that's great for him. This will be really fun to watch. Ken Hitchcock grew up in Edmonton. Essentially, the Oilers were his dream. He coached those Sherwood Park amateur teams before he coached me in Kamloops. And it's going to go full circle. Came full circle with us last year. He can't help himself. He just can't stay out of the game. Well, and, and health. I'll say this: health wise, he's he looks awesome. He lost yeah. like eighty pounds. Got himself straight after last year in the summer. And uh, Gret, he worked with Gretzky and Kevin Lowe and those guys on Team Canada on the Olympic teams. Yeah. And he's he's heading home. So I guess he's no longer the senior advisor <laughs> to the Dallas Stars. Well, and what's interesting is we talk about, you know, why do you do this? Because it works. That's the guy that it works with. Now, it may only work this year. We'll see. But in my opinion, he will get results immediately. So that's four coaches fired in the first quarter. And all almost all of them, or all of them, from the Western Conference. Yeah. And that was an underachieving Oilers team. I don't know how good they are. No. I mean, Todd McClellan, to me, is a great coach. But so if he couldn't get out of him, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be, it's interesting. But, man, if you're, if you're Ken Hitchcock and you, you've got the opportunity to coach Connor McDavid. What's funny about him, because they talked about this back in the day, and we always talk about his defensive coaching style and everything like that. When he was coming up through Kamloops and everything, he was fire wagon hockey. Yeah. And so I wonder if he wants to embrace that again and try and go, go, go. He does, but you don't deviate that much from your bailiwick. And his is structure and organization and what have you. And I I have to think the Oilers looked at what's gone on with the New York Islanders, with Trotz going in there and Lou Lamorello and saying, not that they were against the Stars the other day, but basically just going, yes, let's – Let's bring a guy in that has a lot of skins on the wall that we know. And the I can tell you this, that Edmonton media that has been in a love affair with Ken Hitchcock for two decades is going to have a welcoming hug for him when he comes back to what was once known as uh, Championship City. Bailiwick is one of my favorite words. Comes from Bailey. Not as good as Confine. That's going to do it. Wow. Wow. What a, what a podcast, huh? Look, when you have Tom Holy here, things he's the straw that what stirs the drink. What a podcast. It pays to have your computer open during rinky-dinking. And this is going to be the oldest of old news for some people, <laughs> but we broke it yeah. in real time in this taping. Everybody, fire up the green egg and stick the bird in there. Have a happy... Thanksgiving to all of you after we finish roasting penguin tomorrow night. See you next week, gang.